We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. enough time around musicians and songwriters, you, you start to hopefully get a sense of uh, who has a certain special something, you know, even early on. Like Danielle Heim, for instance, who's my guest in this episode of LSQ. I first met her almost a decade ago when she was playing uh, in the backing band supporting Jenny Lewis, and I noticed right away that she seemed to have that special something as a performer and as a musician. And I didn't know at that point that she was already working on her own songs with her sisters in the band that we now know as Haim. Uh, But I just knew that she seemed uniquely gifted, and indeed she is. And I'm so pleased that I finally got to sit and spend some real quality time one-on-one with Danielle after all these years to find out more about her creative evolution. That's what you'll hear about in this episode of LSQ, Episode 9. I'm Jenny LSQ. Also, after the interview with Danielle, an excerpt from a vintage interview I did over the phone with the late Lisa Left Eye Lopez from TLC. So hang out until the end so you can get that. And right now, let's dig in. Danielle Heim on LSQ. Uh, welcome to the LSQ podcast. I'm so Thanks, excited Danielle, to be here. We're doing this. Of course. Um, before we even turned the microphones on, we already were starting to talk about something that I'm intrigued to talk to you about in yes. this context. Because you and I first met when you were doing the thing of playing in other people's bands. Yes. Um, I guess in Jenny Lewis's band initially, yes. which would have been like 2008 or nine. Could it be that long ago? Wow. 2009, yeah. That's a crazy long time ago. I know. And so, and then I started to hear from various people, oh, Danielle, she has this band that's really, that's really, really good. (laughs) Um, But at that point, you had already been playing shows, you know, for a while. Yeah. With your sisters. Yeah. When did Heim start to feel like a thing that would stand on its own, that you would begin to be able to kind of cancel some of the other gigs? I think it was a point, I mean... After I toured with Julian Casablanca's for about, like, I think a year and a half to two years, which was, like, right after I toured with Jenny, 
I started to feel like, well, first of all, I'd never played music outside of LA. Like Haim, as we were, we'd been playing since 2007, but just at like the local venues, you know, playing for all, like for all of our friends' bands. Um, so going on tour was like a huge learning lesson and knowing like, oh wow, like people in different, like, you know, going to the UK and playing with Julian, he was like, it was like Beatlemania. It was like, people were freaking out, you know? And I was like, oh my God, you know, me being from LA, like I, I'd been to a couple of crazy shows, but nothing to that extent, you know, seeing all these people freak out about live music was like, oh my God, like, where am I? This, And that happened a, a lot. And I think just the act of being able to tour with other people and seeing what you know what's out there or like even just having a tour manager like I was like what is this job and like you know what is they have a were, manager you were, how old were you then when I started touring with Jenny I was 19 right um and then when I started touring with Julian I think I was 20 and did you sort of I'm guessing you just kind of knew Jenny from other music people around LA well what I th I ended up touring with Jenny because I was in um, Michael Renyon's band opening oh, up for Jenny. Okay. So I had met Michael at Spaceland randomly one night and we started talking and you know I'm a musician he's like oh cool like whatever and I think it was like two weeks before like we had you know become kind of friends I'd see him out he knew I played a couple instruments like he knew I played guitar and drums and I think it was two weeks before he was about to support Jenny on her first acid tongue tour and he was like, I'm going on there with Jenny and my drummer can't go. Like, do you play drums? And I was like, yes. And at that point I was in community college. You know, it's my second year. And I had a job at American Rag selling shoes. And he was like, do you play drums? And I was like, yeah, I, I play drums. And he was like, would you go on tour with, you know, me and Jenny Lewis? And I thought, you know, I was, I don't even know if Jenny knows. Like, I was like a huge Rilo Kylie fan. I'm a huge Jenny fan. So to me, that was like, oh my God, I've made it. I'm going. <laughs> um, and I remember like I lived at home and my parents were expecting me to finish community college and then go to UCLA and the whole nine. I remember being like, I'm going to go on tour for three weeks. And they're like, what about school? What about your job? And I was like, I'm just going to do it. And I ended up playing drums for him on that tour. Um, and then I guess, you know, Jenny saw me play. And then I think a couple months after that, when she was doing like a second round of touring, she was like, would you be my guitarist slash percussionist slash backup singer? And I was just like, yeah, I'm doing it. And I like quit my job and quit school and... It's funny to think about your parents being worried about canceling the more formal non-music things when it's like, you did this to me. I learned it from you, Dad. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, I think I don't think they ever necessarily saw us really. You know, at that point, we were playing to five people at Spaceland, you know, at seven o'clock. You know, hi, I'm, you know, they, I, there was no real nothing happening for, you know, Haim and but Alana you, but you already at that point, you, you thought you were like, I'm a musician. You, would, yeah. you know, you would, yes, I, hi, I'm Danielle. I'm a musician. You yeah. identified already Definitely. at that point as like, this is what I'm going to do. Want to do. Yeah. Oh, for sure. You know, that's why I kind of stayed in LA and didn't end up a lot of my, I went to an arts high school and a lot of my friends, you know, went to Berkeley school of music or went to, you know, different colleges for, and I just was like, I think I want to do. I want to be in a band, so I should probably stay in L.A. Because, like, I would watch... I feel like Behind the Music was, like, my college. Right. <laughs> you know, I would just, like, watch every Behind the Music. Like, it was just like, oh, my God, 
how did this band they you know they they played to no one for five years and then finally they got signed or something yeah. I don't know it was just like it so going right. so going on tour with Jenny and then with Julian um, those were the things that kind of pushed you to regard Heim as being a project that you could take to that same place like I yeah. I should get my up I should get my band to this place right and like honestly Julian like he I don't know he invited us to open for him on like the last round of touring so our Haim's first tour was opening for Julian Casablancas around America which was also like I don't I mean he had heard like a couple things that we did but he was like would you want to just you know do double duty like play you know open up for us and then play with me and I was like sure it was like our first tour and really, I think that was the moment because, again, like we had never played outside of Los Angeles. We were going to Denver and we were like playing shows and people would meet us at the merch table and, and like really care. And at that point, I don't even think we had recorded. We had a MySpace with like three demos on it. You know, like, where's your music? And at that point, I remember asking Julian, like, how do we get because we were really struggling how to record us because, again, like it was really hard to get the sound that I had in my mind out onto, rec you know, onto tape, as they would say, or yeah. whatever, onto recorded right. platform. And he, we would talk a lot. I would just try to pick his brain, like, how did you get that sound on? Is this it? Or like, and he was like, honestly, because I, whatever I thought of the Strokes recording is this that I always thought like, they were all in one room and they were just like banging it out and they did it so quickly, but you know, I remember him telling me like it was, you know, use room mics for the drums to make them sound trashier and, and just like little tidbits like that and how how intricate the recording of that process was, even though it sounded so effortless. I remember being like, OK, yeah, you know, it's crazy. And so when did you just decide, like, I'm not going to look for or accept any any more offers to go on tour with other people? I'm just going to focus on I'm. There was a point when, I forget, someone, I think it was actually CeeLo, because in that same time there was an audition to be in CeeLo's band. Wow. Because he wanted an all-girl band. And I had never been through the like the audition process because everything happened so organically. I was so lucky that like Jenny saw me play with her friend, and then Julian actually saw me play with Jenny, So he and they had the same manager at the time. So he was like, would you come on tour with me? So everything was very organic. Um, and I got, there was like something online, like audition for CeeLo's band. And I was like, cool, I'm not doing anything right now. Sure, like I need the money. And I did it and it was an experience that I was like, I don't know if this can be my thing. Like, I don't know if I'm gonna like, right. this is weird. Like, Yeah, just be like the person who's available for yeah. whatever tour is happening and, and like shapeshift your way into every yeah. band. And they were like, shred. You know, and you're like, what? They're like, we don't want to see you shred. And I was like, um, okay, like, here's a lick. Like, I don't, you know, the whole thing felt weird. I ended up not getting it, but then the girl quit. And so I ended up, they called me really last minute, and they were like, we we're doing, I think it was Lena. Like, we're doing Lena. And I was like, okay, sure. And I ended up actually performing, like, online. I'm playing guitar for CeeLo. And they wanted me then to go on tour. And I think at that moment, I was like, this is a weird turning like I don't think I can do this like I I really want to focus on trying to make Haim happen and, and did and you have a bunch of so Haim songs already at, at that, that point? point we were like in the process of writing new stuff because that was actually something that Julian he was like said he was like you need to write just keep writing like because at that point I think we had songs I mean our song The Wire 
we wrote in like 2008. So that kind of stuck around, but we started writing new stuff. And at that point I had gotten a new computer because I had some touring money. And we had, I always talk about like GarageBand, how it kind of changed everything for us. But, you know, at that point I was like, okay, I have this computer and I want to just start making demos and I want to make it sound cool somehow. And because before that, you know, we would just go into like a studio that was going out of business in the valley for like a day and save up all of our money and record like five songs in a day in a room. And it always just sounded horrible. And so GarageBand really helped me be like, okay, I'm gonna just track everything myself. Like, you know, I'm gonna get the drums right. Or like, I'm gonna just like bang on some shit and make it sound like drums and distort it and pitch whatever, like make it sound cool and then put, you know, delay on my vocals like I never even knew what that was before it was just like such a learning experience for a year I just was like on garage band like making but do you demos. feel like at that point you already did have a kind of an idea a template of what it what it was was supposed to sound like and you're yeah. just trying to figure out how to make it yes. sound like that I definitely like you know at that point I was like I don't I don't I could never get drums to sound right live I could I tried to figure out how to mic like I just couldn't figure them out so I was like I'm just gonna use a drum machine because obviously like we love Prince and so I got um, and also the drums in GarageBand were like fine I could make them sound fine so at that point I was like okay drum machine check you know guitar bass and then everything else was kind of like real and a lot of synths and stuff um, and we just started layering stuff and trying to figure out our sound and I think that really that year of kind of exploration after I was toured with Julian was like super helpful. You and I have obviously talked uh, in in previous uh, situations like this about you know the childhood kind of being sort of foisted into this musical experience yeah. because your parents played music and, and yeah. that sort of thing but when did you feel like okay this is not what a thing that mom and dad are encouraging anymore this is was it really very young that it just felt like yeah well they they like that we do that they like that I'm doing this but also I love this shit I think it was like out of high school I mean the thing that was weird was like all my friends went away to high to college and I, it was my I think it was like the, the month that I graduated high school we were like we're gonna make Haim like a real thing because again all my friends were leaving to college and I didn't even really apply I was just like I, I know I, I, I'm just gonna go to community college like all my cousins and then and then go to UCLA and also save money that way my parents were like you know whatever but you were figuring that like my vocation is gonna be playing music even if I do finish college yeah that was always my dream I mean again like I never thought really it would happen but that was my you know I'm gonna try and make it happen um, but I think it was you know after like I remember there was like one gig where all my friends were it was our first time gig and all of our all of my friends were there from high school and it was like sold out it was like at this clown museum called the CIA in North Hollywood clown it was, museum it was a, truly it was a clown museum yeah um, <laughs> it was so weird and I remember like it was like a big like high school like all my friends from high school came and it was our first show and there was like so many people there and I'd be like oh my god this is really gonna happen and then for the next year, just like playing again, like I said, like to no one. I remember like my parents being like, is this like we would play the most random venues in L.A. And some of them were like literally like when the, the, it was just opening, like at 630 or something. I don't even remember, but it was just 
kind of I mean that's just normal shit but you didn't you, know? you had did you at that point already have friends who had had bands that were doing those well kinds that's the of thing gigs? I had zero friends because they all left right, oh, right so right. I like couldn't even I didn't have anyone to be like hey come to my show like all my friends moved to New York of course they all went to the new school or NYU and like I was just in LA working at American Rag selling shoes and like I don't know it was just like at that point I was just like calling venues like hey you know at that point it was like hey I have a band and they're like cool what's your MySpace numbers you know <laughs> at that point it's like how many plays do you get on MySpace and we're like fuck we don't even have shit on my I don't even have anything recorded you know <laughs> it's so funny to think about that like I feel like it's the same as now as like if someone was like how many Instagram followers do you have like back then it was like how many yeah how many MySpace, MySpace friend, quote friends quote unquote friends or, or plays or are you top eight on any local bands I don't even know your parents obviously played music and and uh as their hobby when you were all from the time you were born pretty much right yeah and had they ever regarded it as something that they would you know before they had kids like do music as a career would it ever seem like a realistic option to them no my parents like never my mom like would play at like her I mean my love of Joni Mitchell comes from my mom she was obsessed with Joni and Joan Baez and all the kind of stuff all the Jones all the Jones um but she would play at coffee houses you know she was she was a teacher actually when she moved here for the first time but like would play somewhere in the valley I don't even know what it was called but she got scouted for the gong show that was like her big we literally growing up we had like a shrine to the gong like I think that's as far as my mom thought that was like the highlight of you know what did she play on the gong show she played bonnie Raitt. she's like a huge bonnie Raitt fan and she actually recorded she had like a she taped some late like she heard on the radio it was called the blender blues it was like a b-side that that um bonnie had and she like she told me like she recorded her off the radio and then like learned it it was just like a blues progression but the whole thing is like let me be a blender baby you know I could whip, chop, and puree. Like, the whole thing, like, I could be your blender. You gotta and, love a song-length metaphor. Right? <laughs> um, but that's how, yeah, so she, I think that was, yeah, that was the extent of her. But honestly, like, that's how my parents kind of bonded the first time. Like, they met my, like, the famous story is they went out to sushi on, like, a blind date. And my dad was using the ch- chopsticks to, like, kind of like play drums on all the little all the glassware and my mom's like oh you play drums and my dad was like yeah I do my dad was like a, kind of a hot shot he's like yeah I play drums she's like well I play guitar and he was like oh really you do and they kind of bonded on that like on their first date so but again never but they didn't have friends who like no. became professional musicians no. or anything no, no, so no. you know I'm so intrigued you know in doing these interviews for for the podcast like and this is the kind of thing you know I like to talk about and it's interesting to me people who grew up with uh, parents who played music Mm -hmm. versus people whose parents didn't play music Mm -hmm. and um, and the way that that influences what you expect might happen with it and I think like people whose parents played music as a hobby or like with no real aspirations it's like such a good influence on you know, people who t- who grew up to be professional musicians, because it's like, well, you you should do this because you love it. You should not do it because you expect that something crazy is going to happen right. with it. Right. Um, but it sounds like it's funny to hear. It sounds like that when it, when things were actually starting to happen, that your parents were that was so unfamiliar to them that they were like, "Oh, wait, are we sure? Yeah, is this real?" It was like, I mean, they're always super supportive, but there was a point in time, like when I started doing going on tour 
I Haim essentially stopped, you know, and I remember my parents being like, you know, like, is this, is Haim just done? You know, like, like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Like, they were like, kind of just like, all right, well, maybe that was, that's it, you know? Because I sure didn't know what I was, what was going to happen to me. Maybe I was going to become like a touring musician, you know, so. Was there anything else that you would have been, like, as a profession or a vocation that you would have been willing to do that was like a plan B? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I was. I don't know. Yeah. It's you would weird. have. Been, you would just be on tour with CeeLo if time <laughs> hadn't worked out, which would oh be fine. Oh my god! <laughs> so crazy. Do you think that there's something about the guitar that felt right for you right away? Obviously, you play a bunch of instruments and and everything like that. But did 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 the guitar have a special power? The guitar definitely did. I think. I honestly, I have. I think since my dad's a drummer and that was actually drums were my first instrument I think I've always kind of felt that thing with drums um I never had lessons or anything but it was something that I came home and I was like I want to play drums you know it was I would always practice um to my mom's like not so stoked like vibe she was like shut the fuck up <laughs> you know but I was you know my dad was super like Gee, you know it was his idea to always have a drum set up in the living room because he also loved to play for fun and also I mean we've talked about this before but for listeners Danielle's parents her dad Moti would collect instruments and recording yeah. gear from the little like classifieds newspaper what's it called the recycler again? the recycler where you could find awesome shit maybe yeah. like a church was getting rid of Literally. some cool old soundboard that you're like ooh that's a good one and he would go get it and so your house was just full of just this stuff full of random stuff yeah. and would he play with the toys once they came home or did did you guys oh, mostly yeah. end no, up no like he never knew how to play guitar or bass or anything he was just strictly drums but he would he would come home and yeah he'd be like plug in let's go play a solo <laughs> do it you know and actually would actually it, made me kind of come out of my shell. I was kind of like a shy kid. My dad would be like, just play loud, you know, like, crank it up. Let's just play, you know, and I feel like that actually helped me get out of my shell a little bit. But yeah, he loved, I mean, he loved, my parents loved playing music with us as like, that was like literally, I don't even like, it was so fun for them. Do um, you still ever play with them? Not really. They want to, they love, you know, they're like, oh, can, you know, sometimes they're like, can we, Hop on stage and dad will play the timbales. Like, no, like. When they no. have a big anniversary, right? Right. When they have a big anniversary that merits something special. Yeah. No, my dad still plays drum. Like, they're still in our living room. It's like all the stuff is still there. So he'll, my, my dad will be like, he'll send me like a, like a voice note, like, just came up with this drum part. Like, what do you think of it? Could you use it? You know, he's always coming up with kooky ideas. I'm like, thanks, dad, but no. In more recent years, um, you know, who are the kind of outside voices that you look to to give you feedback on on the songs you're writing or the recordings that feel like you can trust their opinion? I mean, honestly, my sisters, right. you know, which is, you know, amazing to have that instant feedback and they know where I'm coming from and, you know, they're honest and that's just we always talk like I always talk about how I don't know I feel so lucky that you know that we I have it's gonna sound corny but that we have each other because this business is crazy <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah I mean Ariel too like has yeah. been it's, it's an amazing it's also like great to know like when you ask someone what they think to feel safe and knowing that like 
that their feedback is like I don't know, like you, tr- you know, just the yeah, trust. They is know, there. right? You know what the evolution is, where yeah. you're coming from, and yeah. all the f- constant. Yeah, I mean, it's great to also just give, you know, to play a song for someone who has zero and, you know, no, like zero idea of the background. I'm just like, what do you think of this? But I think every artist is kind of like, you know, obviously very um, emotional. But, um, Again, in the realm of things I'm almost ashamed to ask about, but I'm going to anyway. Okay. I am curious if in the months since all of uh, the, the post sort of hashtag me too world yeah. that we live in now, whether yeah. a band that's comprised of three sisters, whether you've noticed any positive improvements in, or at least attempts at, are pe- do you feel like people are trying harder at all to figure out what they may have done wrong before and correct for that. I mean, shit, we haven't, I'm sure if we were like out and touring when all this, we've just kind of been home writing. So, um, I haven't personally seen like an improvement necessarily, but I'm excited at the, at the idea that it could be better. I mean, again, like I said earlier, even though it's, it might sound corny, like very lucky that I have my two sisters with me. I feel like people, we're kind of like a wolf pack and people maybe aren't they don't maybe i don't know he is sketchy yeah. Yeah, yeah maybe i mean we've had our fair share for sure um do you think that i mean is and this is a it's been interesting that uh musicians haven't talked talked as much about their experiences in this mm-hmm. realm as as some other people have other people in other sectors um but I am so curious whether female musicians and artists still in 2018 feel like they're condescended to as oh, a result. all the time. About musical chops and that kind of shit. All the time. I mean, that is something that, again, <laughs> why I feel so lucky to have my sisters because I've, I've been in other bands. I mean, not the touring side of things. Like, you know, when I was on tour with Jenny and Julian, it all felt very like a family they almost protected me I was so young too like I feel so grateful that I never had anything go on like that but as far as like yeah I don't even know like in middle school going to jam with my friends it was always like oh she's a girl no I mean and then thinking about playing at Silver Lake Lounge and and Spaceline sometimes you'd get the occasional monitor engineer who wouldn't even show up to our gig you know like they'd they'd see us in soundtrack and be like and then we'd like be playing like oh i can't hear my voice oh there's no one there yeah you know and and yeah i mean i think on a you know sometimes when we walk in studios it's we don't really see a lot of women and a lot of the engineers just won't even take you seriously i mean it's interesting yeah and there's always there always seems to be the suggestion that if you're a female artist who's singing songs that you couldn't have possibly written those songs do you know what i mean like the the idea that like a female pop singer in particular you know maybe they get credit for writing the song but surely they didn't actually write it surely there must be other people we've got i mean you know we've we wrote a lot of this last record with ariel and that was like you know, oh, did Ariel write? Like, what? What did you guys really do? Like, did I know Ariel's a genius? I mean, obviously he is a genius, but you get those questions, like, you know, what? What do you guys re- like? So how? Like, what you like? He comes up with it. You guys sing it. You know, and it's like, wait, what? Like, the fact that there is just a male in the writing credits is like, okay, he did it. 
He yes. really did it. You know, you're like, wait, what? This is crazy. You know? I know. I mean, I... honestly, those questions just, it seemed just like a normal thing. Now that, you know, I feel like I've, I've kind of like assessed everything and been like, wait, no, this, what the fuck? You yeah. Know? I mean, I would hope that it's, you know, I've never been on the other side of the microphone, so to speak, where I'm mm. having to answer those kinds of questions. But I guess I would hope that artists are more feel more comfortable verbalizing like do you hear what you're asking what you're suggesting right. do you know what i mean you're suggesting that you know would you be suggesting that if i were a dude that totally. i must not have written these songs or not really written them like you know oh, literally the other day in the studio some we were we were talking we were like well there needs to be we were like in like a nice studio in hollywood and I think we were talking to one of the engineers and we were like, God, like, there should be more women. Like, we had maybe just said something. He was like, there are women. Like, my friend Mary is, like, an amazing engineer. I was like, okay, but you can agree that there's not enough? You know, and he just said, was like, there are. There are, like, you know. And I was like, okay, I can't. At that point, it's like, where do you go from there? Yeah. I don't even know, bro. Like. Oh, boy. You know? Yeah. Like. Yeah. The, the sophomore Heim album has been out for several months now, and mm -hmm. um, as douchey a question as it might be, are there, <laughs> do you already have new songs? Do we new do. songs already start coming we to you? We do. It's like we've been definitely more conscious of writing, trying to write more, um, because after the whirlwind of the Days Are Gone tour, and we toured, I think, for like basically three years, and you know, I. I never really wrote on tour when I was touring with other people and like the idea of writing on tour, there was just so much going on. So when we came back, we talked about this, like when we came back after tour, we were like, okay, we have to write a whole batch of new songs. And it was just, it was like, you know. It's a lot. It was a lot. Yeah, so, starting from scratch. So definitely trying to figure out how to make it not easier, but have like a, a place on the road, whether it be like a better dressing room, I don't know, just something where it's like feels like a safe place to create is definitely a priority. Yeah. So you, so you've had, so you've had some stuff begin to come together. Yeah. And like we were going on our tour now and, but the last couple months, um, we've been in the studio actually and writing. So mm. maybe expect some new stuff soon. Are you excited about how it's sounding? Yeah. yeah. It's really, it's really exciting. Um, are you likely to play any th beginnings of anything on this tour? Or? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Very yeah. sneaky, sis. Yeah, I know. Um, and what else is what else have you got coming up? You know, this year besides Heim touring. Um, is it going to be? Are you going to spend most of the rest of the year doing doing more dates, or you have other? I know you occasionally pop in and sing on other stuff and have other projects and. I might be staying on some other stuff, actually. Um, but... Too soon to talk about that stuff. Huh? If we can't talk about that stuff. Yeah, we can't talk about that <laughs> stuff yet. Um, but, no, I think it's just going to be a lot of, yeah, trying to release new music. I think the idea of releasing singles and not, like, a whole album really appeals to me. Because, you know, we take a long time producing stuff. So, I mean, before our our first record came out, Days Are Gone, we released like EPs like every couple months and that was actually really exciting to just get into a studio and bang one song out in like two weeks. Well, maybe a little longer than that, but like that, the idea of that kind of immediacy really appeals to me. So maybe we'll be doing some of that.
I think I, I think that's all I've got for okay. you, Danielle. All thank right. you so well, much. Thank you so on. much. Love to talk and see you all this morning. All right. Well, let's listen to uh, some of this Lisa Left Eye Lopez interview, if you're down for that. Um, and this is the first time I'm sharing an excerpt from an interview with uh, an artist who's no longer with us. So I just want to say respectfully to the memory of Lisa Left Eye Lopez that it was just such an honor to be able to talk to her at all, let alone for whatever it was, like 40, 45 minutes on the phone back in, I think, the year 2000. Um, and I'm only going to play you like three or four minutes of it. But what we're talking about in the section you'll hear is this thing called the challenge. Essentially, the members of TLC were feuding publicly. T-Boz and Chili had said some things about Left Eye in Entertainment Weekly uh, that bummed her out sufficiently that she issued a challenge that they should each make a solo album, package the three of them together, and that there would be a winner at the end of it. Uh, they did actually do something like that. They had a three-disc set called 3D, but it wasn't really a challenge the way that I think Left Eye had imagined, and it didn't come out until after. Sadly, as you probably know, Left Eye passed away in a tragic car accident when she was only 30 years old uh, in spring of 2002. So where we're starting here is with Lisa commenting on why she thinks her groupmates didn't take her up on the challenge. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Because the reason they told me they turned down the challenge was because they weren't interested in doing solo projects. But when you issued that challenge, you were you were dead serious. Oh no doubt, I was dead serious. You know, I mean, because to me it was a, it was a situation that we all could have benefited from. Uh, a three CD set sells for thirty dollars. You know, and um, I think for marketing and publicity reasons, we we could have really hyped hype that project up. <laughs> and I think everybody would have ran out and bought it. Totally. You know, Definitely. outside of pers- any personal issues, you know, there were business advantages that we could have taken, you know. But did you think when you issued that challenge, did you think they'd say, yeah, sure, we'll do it? Well, I don't know. You didn't know? I figured that if they, that if they took it personal, no, they would not do the challenge. But if they stepped outside of <laughs> themselves for a second and looked at you know, the terms and our contract and, you know, all of that stuff. And, you know, I thought maybe they would have considered taking it, being that we had three three albums left in our contract. Um, they wanted to get through that, you know. So I thought that in, in more ways than one, the challenge would work to our advantage. But do you think that the reason that they didn't take the challenge was because they did take it personally? Yes, most definitely. So so they their feelings were hurt or what? No, I don't think their feelings were hurt. I think that they were too caught up in what would happen at the end of the day if they didn't win. I don't know. It's like when you tend to take things personally, you, you start getting all emotional. <laughs> you can't deal with things. But, you know, I just feel that it, 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 it could have been a smart move, you know. It really wasn't about the winning. Right. You know, those were just incentives. You know, I mean, like I told you, I'm a very conceptual person. So once... 
they released their statements in Entertainment Weekly and they were basically bashing me. It only made sense for me to respond with a challenge, you know, and not just because that was the way I personally felt, but because, okay, now we have a situation. How do we take advantage of this situation? How do we turn this situation into something that we could all benefit from instead of letting, allowing it to tear the group down? You know, because now all I hear is, are rumors about us breaking up or everyone makes jokes about we're going to scratch each other's eyes out, you know. You know, we, we may have had some disagreements and we vented on each other. Well, I didn't vent on them. Even though they vented on me in the press, you know, we're still friends and we're still a group. We haven't broken up. Right. But, you know, I like to, whew, I like to go there. Right. You know, so the challenge for me was something that I could handle. You know, I could handle the press that was going to come along with because at the end of the day, it all boiled down to record sales. And if you're in a record business, that's how you got to think. Exactly. But, I mean, you know, people talk about you guys breaking up and everything, but from the outside perspective, reading that article, it seems reasonable that's what people would think, doesn't it? Well, I don't know. If you have a fight with your husband, does that automatically mean you're going to get a divorce? I mean, okay. people are allowed to fight. It doesn't mean that, you know, a breakup is, is next. But that had to bug you, knowing that the whole world was reading the shit that they were saying about it. No, not really, because before that happened, I I got in trouble for burning down the house, and the whole world said I was crazy. Right. And what did I do? I came up with a concept, and I called the next album Crazy Sexy Cool. Right. You know what I'm saying? Can't go against the grain. If people want to think I'm crazy, I don't care. I'm going to just make great music. Keep striving. Lisa Lefty Lopez passed away on April 25, 2002. She was only 30 years old. At the time of Lopez's death, TLC were the most successful girl group in history, having sold in excess of 20 million copies of their first few albums, outpacing the Supremes and paving the way for Destiny's Child. Thanks so much uh, to Lisa Lopez. May she rest in peace. And, of course, major thanks to Danielle Heim for sitting with me for the big interview in Episode 9 of LSQ. Uh, And hey, thanks to you for listening. Subscribe if you haven't done so already. Uh, Episodes come out every few weeks. I've got upcoming interviews for you with Rostam, Ben Gibbard of Death Cab for Cutie, Bethany from Best Coast, and more. And hey, if you like it, leave a a rating or a review. You can always reach me with feedback or questions on Twitter, at JennyLSQ. Thanks for listening.